the longer you sit in darkness, the more accustomed you become to the darkness. So the longer you sit in it, the more accustomed you become to it. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we just simply open up to you. Uh, You're awesome. There's none like you, O God. Uh, We fall at your feet right now. We worship you. God, I pray, would you speak in a powerful way during this time as we dig deep into your word? Would you show us afresh and new your truth? Uh, Guide us by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. I pray that the enemy would have no foothold in this place, that we'd simply walk by faith and not by sight. And God, to you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Here in the book of James, in your Bible, uh, looking at... A few verses here this morning, James chapter 1, 16 through 18 is going to be our launch verses, our primary verses for today. And so I pray you write that down there in your notes. We want to make sure that we're students of God's Word, that we're digging deep into the God's Word, that we're mining the Scriptures like never before. And so here the title there you'll see in your notes is simply this, Run from Deception, Walk in Truth. Run from Deception. Uh, Don't play patty cake with it, Uh, don't toy around with it, but run from deception, but walk. Walk moment by moment, day by day, in the truth of God's Word. So here in James chapter 1, 16 through 18, we've been through 15 verses thus far, pretty smart, huh? We're in verse 16, and we must continue to mortify the flesh, if you will. Uh, The pride that so easily besets me and you, and uh, as John Owen said, the great Puritan, he said, be killing sin or be killing you. And so we want to dig deep here in verses 16 through 18. And here's what it says out of the gate, James 1, 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now look at verse 18. Of His own will, don't miss that, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Why? That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Now, you got to remember, as we talk all the time about context being king, and context is king, as you know, and Leading up to those verses, you look there in your Bible in 13 and following that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then that desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And then all of a sudden, Here goes James again saying, look, I'm going to reiterate this. Look at verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You think about this, and those are four of the most stirring, potent words in all of Scripture. 
Do not be deceived. Uh, Not a suggestion, it's a command. Uh, Out of this gate here, he's saying, look, don't be hoodwinked. Don't be tricked. Don't be swindled. Literally, in the Greek, it means this, don't be seduced. Often we think of being seduced in a sexual connotation, but you can be seduced in all areas of life where we see something for what we think it is. It's not really what it is. Our mind begins to play tricks on us. And what happens, we begin to be lured, enticed, deceived. And James says, look, don't be deceived. Now remember, when he's talking about being deceived, go all the way back up to those previous verses. And he says, look, I know you're going through heartache and pain. Count it all joy. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. So many times in the midst of the battle, we can give in to deception. Have you noticed that? Ever been to a place in your life where you're struggling and the heartache and the pain, and you're just kind of like, what's the use? And you just dive in headfirst into sin. I mean, it's easy to do, isn't it? It's real tempting to do. We're discouraged. We're looking for something to dull the pain and fill the void of life. And and Jesus is like over here in the corner saying, I'm here, I'm here. I'll take care of your pain. I'm your hope, I'm your joy, I'm your security. James says, do not be deceived. Don't do it. Don't play around with it. Again, that's being deceived means to go astray, to wander from the truth. You have truth, you have non-truth. There's truth, there's falseness, there's holiness, there's evil. We're either in one or in the other. We're either for Christ or against Him. We can't ride the fence because Satan owns the fence. And James says, look, drive a stake in the ground is what he's saying. He's saying, don't play around with sin. Don't blame God. Don't blame anyone else. Don't play spiritual hot potato. Look in the mirror is what he's saying. Don't be deceived. And yet it's so easy to do, isn't it? That's why key number one, I want you to write it down. Key number one in your notes Here it is, key number one, when we blame God or others for our own sin, we are living in deception. Let me say that again, key number one, very important here from verse 16, which again says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Key number one, when we blame God or others for our own sin, We are living in deception. we got to own it. I have to own it. I can't blame God as we talked about last week. I can't blame others as we talked about last week. I have to do business with my own sin. i got to own it. i got to look at it because that's where the healing begins. Uh, When we pass the buck, the healing doesn't begin. Sin festers. I don't know if you've noticed this, but often... If we get sloppy with the truth, just sloppy. Eh, It's not that big a deal. If we get sloppy with the truth, often we begin to get sloppy with deception. And the lines get blurred. We begin to cross that double line in the middle of the road. And and God's truth is very clear. There is truth and there's non-truth. Again, there's holiness and there's evil. And yet so many times, and perhaps you've, went down this path. Have you noticed how darkness and deception and sin are bedfellows? 
Darkness, deception, and sin are bedfellows. And have you noticed that if you ever sit in darkness, the longer you sit in darkness, the more accustomed you become to the darkness. So the longer you sit in it, the more accustomed you become to it. The same principle works with deception and sin. The longer we sit in it, the longer we marinate on it, the longer that we dive into it and play around with it, what happens is we become desensitized. And and the dark, the deception, the sin now becomes our new normal. And now we're really confused. And this describes our culture like never before. So often we don't know up from down. We know about God, we've read about God, but well, the lines are blurred. Did God really say? Did He really mean? Well, we know because God's Word is true. Years ago, I was preaching and a guy came up to me afterwards. He was a little bent out of shape. He was not real happy. And he said, Preacher, I feel like you were talking to me during the message. And so I paused and said, Sir, I wasn't talking to you, but it sounds like the Holy Spirit was trying to. It's amazing what happens when we become accustomed to the dark. See, it's so important that key number one, when we blame God or others for our own sin, we are living in deception. James says, look, He gets real emphatic here. Do not be deceived. Do not be seduced. Do not be tricked. Do not be swindled. And that's what happens when we're deceived. We think we're going to get something that's going to dull the pain and fill the void. That We're going to have what we finally want and crave in our flesh, but it's always a a cheap, hollow train going nowhere. Off the tracks. We must be on our guard. Because what you do matters. It's true. What you and I do, it matters. What you and I do really does matter. Don't miss that. But what's even deeper when you think about that is who you are really matters. But even one step further, whose you are matters the most. What you do, what I do matters. Who we are really matters but whose we are matters the most. I've learned this over the years. I've learned this over the years that when, when I truly rest in the Lord and He is truly whose I am, who I am, and what I do takes care of itself. When I rest in Him and look to Him first and am not deceived, not walking into deception, but say, look, Lord, here's the deal. I'm yours. You use me for your glory, for your praise. Who I am takes care of itself. And what I do surely takes care of itself. Don't live in deception, church. Be willing, like I must be willing, to confront that person in the mirror. I want you to write a couple verses down from Galatians. Uh, Two passages here, both in chapter 6 of Galatians. Galatians 6.3 is the first one. Write that down as you're supporting first verse under that verse 16, Galatians 6, 3, Galatians 6, 3, it says this, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let me say that again. So 
if you or I, if we think we are something, if we think we're the sauce, if we think we're it, if we think we're the answer, living in pride and haughtiness and rebellion, if anyone from God's Word, Galatians 6, 3, thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Anyone get up this morning saying, hey, I can't wait to deceive myself? I can't wait to be swindled, hoodwinked, tricked? Of course not. But yet when we live in this pride that is so blinding, and James says here in verse 16, don't be deceived. Matter of fact, when you look at verse 16 back there in your Bible, when he says do not be deceived, literally it means this, God forbid, and this expresses an absolute denial, absolute. When he says do not be deceived, God forbid is what he's saying. This is how important and critical this is. It's mission critical. When we play with sin, it will wreak consequences and devastation in personal lives and corporate lives like never before. How about Galatians 6, 7 through 8? Write that down as a supporting text as well under this first key. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says this, Do not be deceived. Here it is again. God is not mocked. Now pause there for a moment. Do you see the connection between deception and God being mocked? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Here we go. Here's the warning. For whatever one sows, that he also will reap. So you see deception and God being mocked. You see sowing and reaping. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, capital S will from the Spirit, capital S, reap eternal life. Do you see the connection, church? What we reap, we will sow. That's why it's so critical that we give our lives to Christ. We don't play around with this concept. It's not something that is just an add-on to our lives and a fringe benefit. No, Jesus becomes our lives. We give our lives away to Him. Our lives are no longer our own. And that's one of the biggest struggles I see in modern Christianity. There's so many people running around that their lives are still their own. Hey, I got Jesus, but my life's still my own. No, we turn everything over to Him when it's real. When the conversion is true and real, we just give everything over to Him. We're not perfect. We still struggle. We stumble forward, but it's real. There's a change in the heart, the mind, and the soul. How about verse 17 in your Bible there, James? Let's see what that says. So every good gift and every perfect gift, interesting, two everys, two gifts, one good, one perfect, is from where? Well, it's from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, don't miss that, very interesting, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think about this. So James has just said, do not be deceived. Like, don't allow it, not a crevice, not even a smidge over in the corner. Like, don't allow it. Do not be deceived. And then all of a sudden, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think about this. Every good gift, that first part there in your notes, it means this, to be excellent, to be honorable. It refers really to the giver and the act of giving. 
So in this first part of 17, the reference is to the giver and this act of giving. And then all of a sudden, every good gift, here's number two, and every, how much, by the way, is excluded from every? Not a whole lot, is there? Every, all, every good gift from the giver and from the act of giving and every perfect gift, that's the gift of God to us. That's the thing that's given is from above. I don't know if if you struggle with this like I do, but there's so many times if I'm truthful before you today that I don't give God the praise I should for every good gift, every perfect gift. Isn't it so easy to be deceived? It's so easy to see the waves of life. It's so easy to see the trials, the tribulations. It's so easy to not count it all joy as we've been commanded in the early verses of James 1 and hear through God's Word every good gift, all of them, every perfect gift. It's all related to God. It's all pointing back to Him. He is the giver. He is the good giver. He's the perfect giver. What are you thankful for today? Like right now, when those words are said, what are you thankful for? What are you grateful for? A thankful heart is typically a grateful heart. And typically, when you are thankful and grateful, you're looking to the one, aren't you? And there's a heart that just says, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. But most importantly, God, thank you for eternal life. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for His atoning work in my life. Thank you for freeing me. Thank you for setting the captives free. Thank you for removing the blinders and the scales from my mind and my heart and my soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And yet it's easy to be deceived, isn't it? Just so easy to be tossed to and fro. I find it interesting when I think through that that You look down to this phrase, Father of lights. I love that. Think about the Father of lights, God. It's it's an old Jewish phrase. Remember, he's writing to the Jewish audience, those of the dispersion, early text there in James 1, that he's writing to them saying, count it all joy. I'm sure there's many Gentiles that read it then, and of course, many reading today. But the Father of lights is this Old Testament phrase referring to God, the great God of the Bible as the Creator. And think about the lights, if you will. All these heavenly bodies, if you will, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Think about this. Just picture this for a moment. How great our God is the general revelation that you go outside and you see the sun, you see the moon, you see the stars. And how can you look at those things? How can anyone truthfully look at those things and say, wow, wow, there's no God. How could you do that? Of course, you you look at the general revelation and the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare every good and perfect gift of, of who He is. That's our God who's greatly to be praised as we crown Him with many crowns. I love this thought there in 17 in your Bible in front of you where it says, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. Don't miss that. Like, don't miss that. That is not filler. No variation or shadow due to change. There's no change is what that means. He doesn't change. 
of the sun and the moon and the stars as he's the father of lights, they change, don't they? It gets dark, it gets light. There's a change going on. Our God does not change. There is stability in the midst of your storm. That in the midst of your storm today, that you can count it all joy. That you can worship today and say, man, I don't like this. This is lousy. This stinks, comma. I serve the great God of the Bible and he does not change. I'm not hanging on to my circumstances. I'm hanging on to God. I'm not hanging on to what I want to happen in life. I'm hanging on to the blood of Jesus Christ. You think through that and it leads well into our key number two in your notes. Key number two, I want you to write this down. Key number two, in the midst of our trials, our circumstances may change. But God is immutable. There's two M's in there, by the way. And never changes. Let me say that again. Key number two. In the midst of our trials, by the way, not if, but when, in the midst of the trials that will come, our circumstances may change. They will. But God, those two words, but God is immutable and never changes. Here are three verses, supporting verses from God's Word that show us such great stability from God. Listen to what they say here, Malachi 3.6. Write that down, Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Well, that's straight to the point, isn't it? For I, the Lord, that's a declaration. That's an emphatic statement. The Lord is saying, look, I'm the Lord, there's none other. I form the light, I create the darkness. I, the Lord, do all these things. And oh, by the way, I don't change. There's stability there. When we go through trials and tribulations and difficulty, aren't we looking for something stable? We're standing on that ground that seems to be shifting. The economy, the bank account, the health report. Constant shifting, isn't it? Just shifting from one angle to the next. we got the great God of the Bible who says, I'm here for you. I gave my son. He's going to redeem you and you give your life to him and he'll make all things new. How about Hebrews 13? Hebrews 13, verse 8. This is referring to the second person of the triune God, Jesus Christ. Here's what Hebrews 13, 8 says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Isn't that awesome? I love that verse. That's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. When everything else is falling apart in life, Jesus says here, what? I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. This is so glorious. So many times in my life and your life, again, the circumstances of life are kind of like this, aren't they? Well, they're up and then they're down. And they're up, and they're down. For some of us, this is our checkbook, amen? Just up and down, right? Up and down, up and down. It seems like we're either going into a valley, coming out of a valley, on a mountain, going back in. It's part of life. And here we are, and as these humans, we're, we're struggling, aren't we? Man, we're going in, we're going into the valley, and we're coming out of one, and on the mountain for a season, and Kind of like Peter, we're like, hey, God, can we just hang out here and build some tabernacles? This is kind of cool up here. God says, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. i got to take it back down into the valley. i got to, got to teach you and refine you and prune you. And up and down we go. And then here's Jesus. 
He says, look. He's like, listen up, listen up. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I don't change. John, your circumstances may change, but I don't change. I'm the stability in the midst of your storm. That's what he's crying out saying for me and you today. I'm the stability, Jesus says. As the great God of the Bible screams through Malachi, for I, the Lord, do not change. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Write down 1 John 1.5 as well as a supporting text under there that I pray will greatly strengthen you. Now, this is talking about the light and the darkness. The Father of lights. Don't miss this thought on this, that He's the Father of lights. Just not lights, but He's also the Father of lights. There's light, there's darkness. Holiness, evil. 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. I love that phrase, proclaimed to you. Like right now, the word is being proclaimed. It's being declared. It's something about the word, isn't it? There's power in the word. There's power in the blood and there's power in the word. 1 John 1, 5, that we proclaim to you that God is light. Don't miss that, church. God is light. He's not darkness. Because the word says right there, and in him is no darkness at all. Remember, we go back up to our text from last week and can't blame God. He doesn't tempt anyone. He can't be tempted. Why? Because there's no darkness in Him. There's no evil in Him. Each one, me, you, we're lured. We're lured. That hunter trapping us, right? We're lured. We're baited. We're enticed. That fisherman dangling the hook. And we see the bait and we don't see the hook. And the enemy's dangling because he knows we're weak. That smorgasbord we talked about, that buffet. Just pick something and go back for seconds. How about verse 18, our final verse? It says this, Of his own will he brought us forth. Don't miss that. How? By the word of truth, don't miss that. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Very interesting verse there. Verse 18 of his own will, of God's intended purpose, of his own good pleasures, what that means there. Nothing external influenced God. Of his own will, his own prerogative, here's what he did. He brought us forth. He brought us forth. Don't miss that. He literally generated. He produced in us. This is this new birth, this salvation. Don't be deceived. Here's the Father of lights. Nothing changes with Him. Everything else is falling apart in our world today. And God's going, look, here I am. I'm strong. I'm mighty to save. I'm mighty to restore. I'm mighty to redeem. That's how great our God is. And by His own will his own prerogative, 
his own desires, he produces this new birth. Salvation is a gift from God. We love him because he first loved us. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws and woos and stirs. That's what the Word says. How? How does he do this? Look at your Bible, verse 18 says it right here. Of his own will, his own accord, he brought us forth, how? By the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The gospel, the Bible. Jesus is the word. The word, word, there in the original language is logos. Jesus says, I am the word. By Jesus himself, if someone asks you today, you're in the grocery store, you're picking up something for lunch, and they say, hey, what's the gospel? Just say Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. And if there's going to be good news, there has to be bad news. There has to be. Jesus says, look, I'm the good news. There's only one good news. And Jesus says, I'm the gospel. I'm the word of truth. That word truth is aletheia, it's verity, it's substance that is free from error. And that's why we're so passionate about the word here at Enon Baptist Church. We know the word will set us free. The word Jesus Christ, the written word, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. We know that God will do the work as the word is proclaimed with boldness, with power. We know the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. He illuminates in the heart, in the mind, in the soul. Those scales get ripped apart, just like Paul on the Damascus Road. They get ripped off. I mean, just shredded from that person's mind, heart, and soul. And they come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. Think about this, the word of truth. Do not be deceived. Verse 16, how? Well, think about this, church. We say this often. How will we know what's false if we first don't know what's true? If we're not in the Word, how will we identify the schemes of the enemy? How will we see clearly his tactics and his plan as he's trying to bring us down and distort, did God actually say? And then he moves on to plan B. God didn't say that. And he begins to lie as he's the father of all lies. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers. Why? Look at verse 18 that we should be, that we should be a kind of first fruits. Again, think about this. Here's the first fruits, right into the Jews, the dispersion. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, there's a lot of good writing there about first fruits. It's the first of the crop, the best portion. And here James is trying to communicate to that audience and to me and you today that as we give our lives to Christ, we are this first fruit, if you will. We're the portion of His creatures right there in your Bible, this God's treasure, if you will. We're the evidence of God's grace. That when God redeemed you, when He redeemed me, that's an evidence of His mercy, His grace, His love. It doesn't even make any sense in the finite human mind. And while we were still sinners, Romans tells us, Christ died for us. 
That's great news, isn't it? That's great news. There's no greater news out there that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And we become these first fruits, if you will. Key number three, write it down in your notes. Here it is. Last key, key number three. When we are saved and rescued, don't miss that, God brings us forth, how? By the power and the truth of the Word. Let me say that again. Key number three, when we are saved and rescued, God brings us forth. Picture that. How? By the Word and the truth, by the power and the truth of the Word. Who rescues him or herself? Well, it's facetious, isn't it? No one rescues themselves. We get rescued, and we get rescued from something to something. That word saved actually means rescued. When you tell someone that you have been saved, you are actually telling them you've been rescued. And what a glorious open door. You could even use that in your next encounter with someone. You can just actually say, I've been rescued. They'll be like, huh? Prayerfully, the next question would be, rescued from what? Woo, now you got an open door, don't you? Let me tell you, man, I was living in darkness. I was in the grip of the enemy. But God, who is rich in mercy, man, He freed me. He pulled me from the miry clay. He pulled me from the pit. I no longer work for the enemy. I work for King Jesus. That's how I got rescued. It's a great opportunity to share the love of Christ. Anytime we give God a first fruit, don't miss this church, it takes faith. Think about this. What's the first fruit? Picture it, Old Testament. We're going to give God, not second, not third, not what's left over, but in the Old Testament, they would give God the first, pretty creative, huh? First fruit. We give God in our offerings, our tithes, the first, don't we? Right out of the gate, we go, here, God, this is yours. We're going to trust you with the rest. We're going to give you first. We know you'll make a way where there seems to be no way. We're going to trust you. How about our lives? We are giving God our lives first. God, my life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. We give God all that we are. Think about Colossians as a supporting text there. Colossians chapter 1. Write that down. Colossians 1, 5 through 6. Listen to what Paul writes there to the church in Colossae. Colossians 1, 5 through 6. He says this, because of the hope, I love that word, laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth. Don't miss that. The gospel. Verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit, I love this, and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Did you catch that? This hope that is laid up for the true believer. Now we have hope. No matter what's going on in your life today, if you have truly given your life to Christ, you have hope. Actually, you just don't have a hope. You have the hope that nothing in this world will compare to. The word of truth. How about 1 Corinthians? Write that one down as well as, as a supporting text for 
this uh, last key, number three. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. Incredible text here. Here's what Paul writes to that church in Corinth that struggled so deeply, had so many issues. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, have you heard that before? Of those who have fallen asleep or died. 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now look at 23, it explains that last statement. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, there we are again, then at his coming, don't miss this, those who belong to Christ. Question to you, question to me, do we belong to Christ? Not that we raised a hand, said a prayer, did a cartwheel, hocus pocus, signed a card, got dunked. Do we belong to Christ? Can you and I today truthfully, without any deception, not deceiving ourselves, can we truthfully today say this statement, I belong to Christ. Like, I belong to Him. My life is not my own. You know, when you think through that thought, it leads into our takeaway question. And here it is, our takeaway question. Write this down in your notes. Am I walking in the truth or in deception? Answer that honestly today. Am I, are you, Am I walking in the truth or deception? Again, you can only, only walk in one or the other. And again, we become deceived, don't we? We're going to be careful who we're allowing to speak into our lives. And the Bible warns us, bad company corrupts. You look at Proverbs over and over, and if, if you and I are saddling up to people that are not godly or not holy, and they're speaking into our lives, we typically become who we hang around with. That's so critical that we are not deceived. Another way to ask this is when the topics of bitterness and unforgiveness and envy and pride and on and on we go, when those topics get brought up, do we bristle? Do we rebel? Like, do we get really, really agitated when those topics get brought up? Because I've learned this in my own life and through years of ministry that when I get agitated over those concepts, typically I've just been a billboard to those around me that I struggle with those issues. Am I walking in truth or in deception? You can't walk in both. It's either one or the other. And that's why the action step is simply this. Here's your action step. Here's my action step. Because you've got to remember, there's wise people, there's foolish people, there's wicked people out there. Who are we hanging around with? Action step. I will ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas of deception in my life and to give me courage to repent action step. I will ask the Holy Spirit right now, right now. Holy Spirit, reveal. Just here I am. Reveal. Reveal any areas of deception in my life right now. And then Holy Spirit, give me the courage. Give me the strength to repent.
And you could say it like this, am I joyfully submitting or resisting the Holy Spirit? Just think about that for a moment. Am I joyfully submitting to the Holy Spirit or am I resisting? Am I resisting? Do we just show up at church and go, you know, I hope I can get through this and I got to get on with my day? Or do we show up at church saying, man, this is a new day and, and I want to see God do something in my life. I want to be changed. I don't want to be the same any longer. I want to be a new creation in Christ. I want to grow. I want to be sanctified. Is that your goal? Is that my goal? Or do we hunger and thirst to live on planet me where the world revolves around me, where I'm hanging out in meology, no longer in theology? I was thinking through that and this concept of this new beginning and I pray for you today before you leave here. I pray before you go wherever you're headed to. I pray that whatever you do in life, going from this moment forward, my prayer is this, that today will be a new beginning. A new beginning, a blank slate. We're getting through COVID-19 and man, we got a new slate before us here. We got a reset button. And as we're relaunching here at our church, I pray that you and I will say, today's a new day. It's a new beginning for me. I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with that. No longer. I'm not going to be deceived. I'm going to look to the Father of lights. He's light. There's no darkness in Him. I want to be His first fruit. I want to be evidence of what He's doing. How great is our God. It's more than a song. It should be the anthem of every true believer. I was thinking about Cortez back in 1519. You know the story. Uh, Cortez said, hey, uh, we want to take on the Aztecs. There's been songs written about this story and all over the internet, of course, but it fascinates me every time I read it. Because here he is, and he says, look, I'm going to take this small band of brothers compared to them, the Aztecs. With 500 soldiers, 16 horses, 100 sailors, 11 ships. And he sets sail. Sets sail and says, I'm going to take on the big boys. I'm going to take them on. And they land on the beachhead and there they are. And, and they're training. and They're getting ready for the, the war of all wars in their lifetime. Well, several of his soldiers said, hey, what are we doing? This is insanity. They begin to bellyache and moan and groan. Cortez had enough. He simply gave that order. Burn the ships. Burn them. Burn them. Now, can you imagine you're one of those soldiers? Maybe you're still in the camp that says we can do this, but maybe you're in that camp that so many were saying, what are we doing? Let's get out of here. This is nuts. And your leader says, burn the ships that we arrived in. In other words, this, burn our only way home. Think about that in your life and my life. So many times in the Christian walk, we're hanging on to all the extra stuff as our security blanket. Well, Jesus, if you don't work out, I got to hang on to this. And God, if you don't come through here, then I got this in my back pocket and I'm going to hang on to that and that'll be my way of escape. And Jesus metaphorically might say, just burn the ships. Trust me. Be all in for me. Be all in. Don't hang on to the stuff of this life. It's deception. Don't be deceived. Be all in. 
Because Cortez was basically saying, hey, if we're going home, we're going home in their ships. How about you today? What's God speaking to your life? Have you surrendered everything to Him? Have you turned everything over to Him? Are you walking in the Spirit or are you walking by the flesh? What is God speaking right now into your life and my life that perhaps He says, hey, not only cling to me as you burn the ships, but what do we need to burn today? I mean, get really specific. Well, what is it in this new beginning that, that you and I need to burn? What safety nets, what blankies do we have? What binkies do we have in life that we're hanging on to? It gives us comfort and security. And God says, you can't have that. You don't want that. Get rid of it and, and just fling into my arms, He says today. You know, when you think through that thought, the recently departed to heaven, Ravi Zacharias, said this. He said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. This is not some morality change here some behavioral modification. Now, Jesus came, as Ravi said, to take dead men, dead women, dead students, and make them live, and live forever in Him. You know, what's so interesting about that concept is, according to the Bible, before you can truly live, you actually have to die. you got to die to self. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. How about you today? Have you truly given your life to Christ in this new beginning? Can you truthfully say today that my life is no longer my own? I'm not going to live in deception any longer, but I'm walking truth and holiness all for the praise of His glory. Is that you today? Are you alive because you've died? I pray that as God speaks into our lives right now in this time of invitation, I pray that as we bow our heads even right at this moment, that God would speak in a powerful way. A powerful way. I pray He will stir right now. Stir in such a way that there's no way that we will resist or could resist His promptings. Father, we come before You and we just lift up holy hands and and hearts and minds that, God, we want to live for You. And maybe right now we need to burn the ships. Maybe right at this moment You are identifying in our lives the ships that need to be burnt. God, will You show us clearly without any reservation. Don't allow us to hold on to the things of this life any longer, but from this moment forward, O oh God, Got to pray that it'll be a new day. A new day in you. We'll rest in you. Greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. Since our God is for us, who can be against us? God, I pray for a revival, an awakening, and a reformation in our hearts today. Do the work that only you can do. And we give you the praise. We give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.